great to see you today. I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to be hanging out again in those few chapters there as we continue our series on desiring spiritual gifts and discovering where you plug in. And so I've, I originally was going to have a two-part series, and now it's in part four already, and I've got one more, all right? So anyway... I've just really enjoyed, like with any subject in the Bible, it seems like you get in there and it just kind of expands and just keeps kind of going outwardly. And so as we mentioned the last few weeks, spiritual gifts need to be studied, need to be desired, and need to be developed, all right? I don't know of anybody that gets a spiritual gift and is 100% mature in using that gift. They all have to be developed as we walk with God, all right? And so this last week, Larry Newbold said to me, you know, a church not using spiritual gifts is like a mechanic not using tools. I thought, man, that's good. I've got to use that. And so anyway, I came up with this. And so can you imagine going to a mechanic and he's got a brand new set of tools. He decides he doesn't want to use the tools. He only works on your car with his hands. Now, again, I give the guy credit for trying, but he wouldn't be much of a mechanic if he didn't use the tools. In the same way, God has gifted the church with spiritual gifts. And I think he wants us to use those gifts. God never intended for the church just to do the best we can in the flesh. He always wants us to operate in the power of the Spirit, all right? And so as we've been talking about the last few weeks, in 1 Corinthians 12, the first verse says, Now concerning spiritual gifts or spiritual things, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. God doesn't want us to be ignorant of spiritual things, which includes gifts. So again, we need to study them, we need to develop them, and we need to desire these gifts. As I mentioned last week, in the, in the field of God's truth, I want you to imagine this field as being God's truth. And there's a lot of camps around in God's truth. You know, each of these camps represents maybe a different denomination. Maybe within a denomination, it represents different people. How many of you know that your truth, and, and here's what I've discovered when I talk to people, they feel like their truth is the only truth. I remember talking to a guy, he went to a little bitty church, little bitty church, and he told me that his church, his itty bitty church, was the bride of Christ and everybody else was a guest. And that's what he was taught. And so I just want to tell you, you know, we all have a certain amount of truth that we camp out with. But I just want to just remind everybody, there is truth outside of your camp, all right? You don't have all the truth of God. What I've discovered is I can learn from other people. Now, I may not see everything eye to eye, but I just want to tell you, be open to what God has to teach you through other parts and other areas of the body of Christ. And so again, I've learned so much from so many different camps, all right? But this last few weeks, we've been talking about gifts, and the two primary camps of gifts, one camp says, the gifts have ceased, all right? 
that from the time of the apostles, they used the gifts, but after the time of the apostles, the gifts are no longer in operation. And there's other people that believe the gifts continue. Now, I just want to be honest that most of the people in the, in the camp that says the gifts have ceased, I think are on a lot of truth. I don't think they're bad people, but I disagree. I'm on that camp that believes the same gifts that God gave in the very beginning. He wants us to operate in those same gifts. Now, I don't think we should ever fear the Spirit of God, all right? So we should never be afraid of what the Spirit of God has for us. And so again, my camp is pretty inclusive, all right? And so my theological camp would include most of the people in both of these camps. There are some people on the extreme sides of that that I don't really understand. But again, I just want you all to know, how many of you know something now about God you didn't know 10 years ago? God continues to show us more truth. So don't ever feel, I always tell people, some, of, some Baptists are going to be surprised when they get to heaven and find out there's other people than Baptists. Some Southern Baptists may be surprised when they get to heaven and find out God is not Southern Baptist. And again, I'm happy to be Southern Baptist, but I'm just telling you something. We need to understand there's truth outside of whatever our camp is. All right, God has truth. All the truth has to be filtered through God's Word. We have to filter it through that. And so again, the Bible says, as we've looked at each week, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Everybody in the body of Christ has the manifestation of the Spirit. Everybody in the body of Christ is gifted. And again, the purpose of gifts is not so you can bless yourself, but the purpose of gifts is so we can minister to one another in the body of Christ. And God designed this thing. God had to have a sense of humor when he designed the church where we need each other. How many of you at times have thought, man, I, I probably could do better without the church. But God designed it where we need each other. God had to have a sense of humor when he brought us all together and he gifted us where we need each other in the body of Christ. And as we mentioned in the book of Ephesians, it tells us Christ is the head, we're the body, that God has put everything under his feet. And that's one of the uh, exciting verse, because no matter where you are in the body of Christ, everything has been put under his feet, which means that we literally have authority over things in life. You don't have to be living under the circumstances if you have Christ in your life. But as we all line up under the body, as God has designed it, I believe his spirit begins to flow and go through the church, all right? And so the last verse of chapter 12, Paul says, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Now again, as I remember growing up in church, I don't remember anyone encouraging me to desire other gifts. Now, some gifts God gives, we have no choice. But others, it seems to indicate that if we have a desire, that God will give us other gifts if we desire them. And so Paul ends this chapter by saying, again, earnestly desire the best gifts. And so I, I just want to encourage you as we're studying this to not only study the gifts, but to desire the gifts and to develop those gifts. And so the more excellent way would be chapter 13. Now again, if you're studying gifts, chapter 12, chapter 14 are probably the two main chapters in the Bible that deal with spiritual gifts. And in between chapter 12 and chapter 14, 
is chapter 13. Isn't that cool how that works? Between 12 and 14 is 13. And we all know chapter 13 as the love chapter. And this is what Paul says as he starts out the chapter. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And then he says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And so here's what Paul is saying. As we're studying spiritual gifts, what I've discovered over the years, there are some people who will elevate their gift above others' gifts. But Paul says here, I don't care if you speak with the tongues of men and angels. I don't care if you have faith to remove mountains. I don't care if you can prophesy of all prophecy. If you're not doing it in love, it's zero. I want to ask you today what you're doing for God. Is it done in love? Do you truly have the love of God flowing through you as you're ministering to the body of Christ? And so again, Paul says, while you're studying gifts, I just want you to understand, regardless of what gift you have, it all has to be in love. We have to have the love of God flowing through us as we minister to each other in the body of Christ. And then he defines love, a very familiar passage, And I want us to read this together, and this should describe your ministry to the church, because regardless of what our ministry is, it should be done in the love of God. So let's read together as he describes love. This is what everyone's ministry should be summarized as right here in 1 Corinthians 13. Let's read together. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude, does not insist on having its own way. I hate that at times. How many of you like to have your own way just once in a while? You guys are godly people. You're godly people. It does not insist on having its own way. Let's continue. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends or never fails, some translations say. So again, no matter what gift we have, it should be done in love. And you say, what is love? Again, a beautiful definition of the God kind of love. It says, I love you regardless of how you treat me. I love you unconditionally regardless of what you think about me. I mean, again, the love of God goes beyond what we could muster up in the human flesh. And so I just want to ask you to think about what you're doing in the body of Christ. Is it truly done with the love of God. Because if it isn't, Paul says, it's nothing. It's worth nothing to God. And then there's a verse, and this is the the couple verses where people say they believe the gift of prophecy has ceased. And these are the couple verses here, and so I want to share them with you. We kind of skipped over them the last couple weeks, but I do want to share them. He says, whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. And then here's the verse where people have said to me, those who are in the camp that believe the gifts have ceased, this is probably one of the main verses. They say, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. And so what they say to me is, 
they interpret that as that which is perfect has come as being the complete Bible. So when the Bible was complete, no longer do we need prophecy. No longer do we need speaking in tongues. But the part that I never hear them talk about is knowledge. Now, if we're going to be honest with the Scripture, not only would prophecy cease and speaking in tongues cease, but there shouldn't be any more knowledge. But that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So again, if you understand it that way, I can at least understand why you think those gifts may have ceased if you interpret that verse. I believe it's talking about Jesus. When Jesus comes back, he who is perfect, we no longer need prophecy to talk about him because he's going to be here. We no longer need to speak in tongues to him in that prayer language because he will be here. No longer do we need any kind of earthly knowledge because he will be here. So it's all how we interpret that particular verse. But again, as we go on to read, I've never heard anybody say that knowledge has ceased. I mean, that would not make any sense whatsoever. But again, if we're going to be honest with that particular scripture, we would have to include knowledge along with prophecy and tongues. And so he ends this chapter, or he begins the next chapter by saying, pursue love, and we should pursue love. Because again, anything we do, if it's not in the love of God, it's nothing. And then again, he says, desire spiritual gifts but especially that you may prophesy. Why would he say that if prophecy wasn't going to last? But he says of all gifts, the one gift you ought to really pursue is prophecy. Now again, depending on how you interpret prophecy, it really does determine what you believe about this particular gift. Now some people have said to me they interpret the gift of prophecy the same as an Old Testament prophet. I do not believe God's going to raise up another Old Testament prophet to literally speak the voice of God. I, I would agree that that's not going to happen. And so I want to give you guys good news. You're not going to be another prophet like Elijah. All right, God's not going to put that on you. He's not going to have you write a 67th book of the Bible because I believe God's redemptive word is complete. I believe the Bible is God's complete redemptive word to mankind. But I do believe that God still operates in the gifts, okay? So what is prophecy? Why should we desire prophecy? Can I give you why I believe it's relevant today? I believe it's relevant because the Bible teaches that it's relevant, all right? So he goes on to say in verse 3, first of all, just the word prophecy signifies the speaking forth of the mind and the counsel of God. Now, when I grew up, somewhere somebody told me that prophecy is preaching. Now, certainly prophecy should in include preaching. I mean, every preacher should be speaking forth the mind and the counsel of God. I believe that could be true. And so the definition, it wouldn't make any sense to say there's no more prophecy. No longer will people speak the heart of God. That wouldn't make any sense at all. And then he says in verse 3, he defines prophecy. And this is really, really important. He says, he who prophesies speaks edification or builds up and exhortation or encourages and comforts men. So all in the world prophecy is, 
is speaking the heart of God to our fellow brothers and sisters. And it's going to be words that build up the church, build up the believer. They're going to encourage the believer, and they're going to comfort the believer. Why in the world would we ever think that that should quit? I mean, again, it's all how we interpret the word prophecy. But I'm interpreting according to the Bible. Paul said himself, he who prophesies just speaks edification encouragement, and comfort. That's all in the world prophecy is. Why in the world would we think God doesn't want us to build each other up and to encourage each other and to comfort each other, all right? And so, again, the Amplified Bible says it this way. I like how it gives us other possible meanings. Let's read it together if you'll join me. The one who prophesies speaks to people for edification, to promote their spiritual growth, and speaks words of encouragement to uphold and advise them concerning the matters of God, and speaks words of consolation to compassionately comfort them. I love how it says that. And so again, our words from the heart of God should be to build each other up and to encourage each other. I love how Hebrews says we're to encourage one another daily. You want to know why? Because life is tough. Life is difficult. Job said man's days are short and full of trouble. I want to tell you, there's not a day goes by. You don't need to be encouraged. You don't need to be built up and comforted. And the Bible says, as I, as I interpret prophecy, that's what Paul says it is. So why in the world, it doesn't even make sense that that gift would no longer be available in the church. Now, as I mentioned last week, I came up with my own definition. How many of you think I, I can have a definition? All right. You may not like it. You may go home. You may disagree. And that's okay. I encourage you to get your own definition. That'd be amazing. And you can buy my lunch and we'll talk about your definition. All right. How many of you think I'm trying to get a lot of free lunches? All right. I, I don't get many calls, but I still throw it out there. Okay. And so here's my definition of prophecy as I understand it. Prophecy is sensing the heart of God for another believer and in love communicating that message to build up encourage and or comfort them that's all in the world prophecy is is sensing the heart of god for another believer how many of you and this has happened to all of us i mentioned last week how many of you have ever just been going about your daily routine and god puts somebody on your heart somebody on your mind I believe that God puts those people on our mind because he knows they just need someone to reach out, encourage them, to comfort them, and to help build them up. And so again, that's all in the world prophecy is, as I understand what the Bible teaches, all right? And so I also came up with this last week, and uh, I, I probably had too much time on my hands, but the word prophecy, it profits others in the body. So say it with me. Prophecy always profits others in the body, you see. If it doesn't profit others in the body, it's not prophecy. All right, let's say it one more time. Act like you get it and we'll move on, all right? It's really important that you look like you get it, you nod, amen, that looks, and then we'll go to the next slide, all right? So if you look confused, I have to back up. All right, so one more time, let's say it all together. Prophecy always profits others in the body, you see. If it doesn't profit others in the body, it's not prophecy. I mean, it's that simple. And so again, prophecy isn't beating each other up. It isn't guilting people. And I'm going to tell you, I've been around some people who are brutal to other Christians. 
They really are brutal with their words. That's not prophecy. Prophecy always builds up, encourages, and comforts. It's sharing the heart of God with other people in the body of Christ. And then he goes on and develops this idea between speaking in tongues and prophecy. And to me, I see him as complete opposite. I still believe God has gifted people with the gift of tongues. I mean, people would be surprised how many people in our church speak in tongues. I still believe it's a gift. I kind of see speaking in tongues as a prayer language as we pray to God. As a matter of fact, Paul says, you should not do it in a public setting unless you have an interpreter. And if I'm being real honest, I've been to a lot of churches where everybody is speaking in tongues and there's never been an interpreter. Paul said that shouldn't happen. Because again, as I understand speaking in tongues, it's a prayer language and we are just directing that to God and just loving on God and just adoring God. But prophecy is just the opposite. It's taking the heart of God and speaking through known words to people in the body of Christ, the heart of God. So again, tongues is speaking a prayer language to God, which for the most part should be done in private. Prophecy should be done in public because it's knowing the heart of God and the passion of God and sharing that in a known tongue with others in the body of Christ. So almost complete opposite, all right? So he says if someone comes into your church and everybody is speaking in tongues, they're going to walk out saying, you guys are crazy. It won't make any sense. But if they come in and they hear everybody prophesying, if they hear everybody sharing the heart of God, loving on each other through a known tongue, and they're building up, encouraging, and comforting each other, they're going to walk out saying, God is in that place. And by the way, it's kind of interesting, they says, if everybody is prophesying. I'm going to give you my opinion right here, all right? I think some gifts, again, we have no choice. God gives us certain gifts. I think prophecy is a gift we can all have. I think we can all know the heart of God and begin to share that heart with other people in the body of Christ. But again, if you have people that depend on how they define prophecy, they will freak out about that. But again, it's so simple as I understand it defined by the Bible. So he ends chapter 14 by saying, Therefore, brethren, earnestly desire to prophesy. He starts the chapter and he ends the chapter saying, Desire to prophesy. I wonder how many of us have ever been taught to desire that. To so know the heart of God and to have the compassion of God. And God, let me share your heart with the people. Let me build them up. Let me encourage them. Let me comfort them. I mean, every funeral I do now, every single funeral before I stand up, I pray, God, let me have your heart as I share with these people. Let me build them up. Let me encourage them and let me comfort them. May they feel your love before they walk out at the end of the funeral. I pray that at every, every funeral. And I just want people to experience the love of God and how much God loves them and cares for them. And so again, he says, desire earnestly to prophesy. Do not forbid to speak in tongues. And I've heard pastors forbid that. He says, don't forbid it. And then he says, let all things be done decently in order. And here's the key to the whole thing. Everything has an order with God. God is not the order of mass confusion, all right? And, and can I be honest? There are groups that have abused gifts. 
I've been to some things that were, I didn't know what was going on, but I've also been some other churches that exercise no gifts that I think is just as wrong. Somewhere we got to find that balance, and I don't ever want to be afraid because somebody abuses it. I don't ever want to back off and not experience God's best. My heart is to experience everything God has us. And so why do I believe everybody can prophesy? I want to again go back to the day of Pentecost. This is a passage very familiar to most of us. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter stood up to preach and explain what was going on, he quoted from the book of Joel, and he said, it shall come to pass in the last days. And I don't know of anybody that doesn't believe we're living in the last days. And he said, it will come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all, 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 all flesh. And here's what's going to happen when God pours out his spirit. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And then he goes on to say, and on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Kind of sounds like on the last days when the spirit is poured out, everybody's going to be prophesying. And again, depending on what you believe about prophecy, that could either scare you to death or that could really get you excited to know that you can literally share the heart of God through your words to build people up every day, to encourage people, and to comfort people. God wants to use us to do that. You know, how many of you know that every time somebody says, God told me to do something, doesn't mean God told them to do it? How many of you know that? Sometimes pastors will get up and say, God, God told me we're to go this way. And we go this way for a while, and all of a sudden the pastor says, well, wait a minute, I think God's wanting us to go that way. And we go that way for a while, then the pastor says, oh, wait, we got... You can look out and the people are going, that wasn't God. I want to give you a funny story. This is one of my all-time funny stories. I've kept it for 42 years. I've never shared it, I don't think, until this morning. I'm going to share one, one of the weirdest things that people said God told them to do. This was back in 1980. April 17th, police were called by a North Deerfield resident complaining that three women, they stole an ups truck, they stole an ups truck, and they covered themselves from head to toe with mustard, took all their clothes off, they covered themselves from head to toe with mustard, and they were out sunbathing in the guy's front yard. Can anybody say, that's a little strange, that's a little strange, all right? And so they were called, so the police get there, and the women get in the ups truck, and they drive off. So the police comes to get them, the ups truck leaves, and the police chase them down. All right, they stole an ups truck, they took all their clothes off, covered themselves from head to toe with mustard, and they were out sunbathing in a guy's front yard. If that doesn't seem a little strange to you, <laughs> you might be a little strange. All right, anyway. So here's what happened. When the police finally caught up with them, here's what the ladies told the police officer. They said, God told us to do that. God told us, told us to take the upstruck, and they quoted the parable of the mustard seed. How many of you know weird people, they'll use a verse somewhere, they'll use a verse. They quoted the mustard seed, and then they quoted the Garden of Eden. That's why they didn't, they took all the clothes off. They were going, getting back to the Garden of Eden. But they said, God told us. Every time somebody tells you God told you, I would filter it all through this. God will never speak contrary to his word, never.
So somebody say, oh, God told me I'm, I'm to go do this. If it goes against God's word, that isn't God telling you to do that. All right? So not, not everybody. Uh, and by the way, they had an article. Guess what the article in the newspaper said, the town newspaper. How many of you know that the world had a little bit of fun with that? And here's the, this is the article. I've kept this for 40 years. I, I, today, I'm just revealing it to you guys. First time. I don't have the exact copy of the paper, but this was the exact article. This was the headline of the article in the paper. Praise the Lord and pass the mustard. That was in the town newspaper. Women, take their clothes off, cover themselves with mustard, steal an upstruck. God told them to. Praise the Lord and pass the mustard. I just thank God these three women weren't members of my church. That's all I'm, I'm thankful. I'm glad they didn't hear about prophecy and get this weird idea, all right? Now, that's not prophecy. That's not hearing the heart of God, all right? But God does speak. I believe God speaks all the time. As I mentioned last week, uh, Henry Blackleby did a, a study on, on God is always at work called Experiencing God. And I believe that's true. Can I tell you, God is always at work. Even when we don't see it, God is always working. I believe that's true. But I also believe, equally true, God is always speaking. God is always speaking. And I believe that prophecy, all in the world prophecy is, is just walking with God and knowing the heart of God. And as God puts something on my heart for another brother or sister, I just share that in love that would edify, would encourage, and build up that brother or sister. That's all in the world prophecy is. It is so simple. It is so simple, and yet God wants to use all of us to minister to each other in the body of Christ. The primary way that I think God speaks, whether it's through his word or through some other means, is through the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, he put his spirit inside of us. And it's his spirit that gives us the heart of God. We have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the Bible says, and that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will give life to our mortal bodies. I mean, I love how the Bible says here, as Jesus was talking to his disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. And so the Holy Spirit just repeats what he hears Jesus saying in heaven in the Father, and then he gives it to us. You say, why do I get excited about hearing from the Holy Spirit? And I've had people tell me, Roger, you, you get way too involved in the Holy Spirit. Can I go on record as saying it's impossible to overemphasize the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is God. Whether we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, or God the Spirit, you cannot overemphasize God. But all in the world prophecy is, is just walking in the Spirit, and as God's heart breaks for another brother or sister, He lays that on your heart, and He gives us the privilege. He gives us the privilege of building up each other, encouraging each other, and comforting each other. That's all in the world prophecy is. And so how does the Holy Spirit speak to us? Here's my thought. Sometimes He gives us a thought. 
Sometimes he puts a name on our mind. Sometimes he gives us a scripture to share with somebody. Sometimes he puts an image in our mind. I shared in the early service about Tom Finn, uh, one of our custodians. Tom will tell me sometimes he'll wake up in the middle of the night and God shows him how to fix one of the furnaces. He worked on it all day, couldn't figure it out. He wakes up in the middle of the night and he said, God just gave me a picture. He just told me how to fix it. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night with an idea for a sermon. Somebody says, where does Roger get all those weird ideas? Now, some of them probably come from Roger. But some of these, I'll wake up in the middle of the night with a thought to put on a slide. God speaks to me in PowerPoint. That's really weird, isn't it? But how many of you have woke up in the middle of the night and God has just given you an answer to something that you have, you have worried over, you have labored on something, and God just gives it to you? So the Holy Spirit, I love how Paul says we have the mind of Christ. The reason we have the mind of Christ is we have his spirit. Because you have the spirit of Christ, you literally can know what's on the mind of Christ. You say, why do I get excited about walking in the Spirit? Because the more you get to know the Spirit, the more you get to know Jesus. And can I go on record as saying you will never, ever know Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit? Never. It's only through the Holy Spirit that you get to know Jesus. And by the way, here's what I have found about prophecy. Prophecy is always, again, edifying, encouraging, and building up in the body of Christ. And so, you know, in, in John 16, one of the things Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, he said when he comes, he'll convict the world of sin, and we all agree with that. But he also said he will convict of righteousness. This is good stuff. I've, I've been in ministry 42 years. I've never, ever had anybody come down the aisle at the end of the service and say, I just got convicted, I'm righteous. I want to tell you that in Christ, you are something. We all know that he took our sin on the body, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5. But he not only took our sin on his body, the Bible says he gave us his righteousness. That means you are in a right standing relationship with God. But you say, I don't deserve it. No, you don't. I don't deserve it. But can I tell you, you are in, if you are a believer, if you have Christ in your life, you are in a right-standing relationship with God. Listen to what the Bible says. This is confession time. We're going to confess what the Bible says. All right? Let's read together the yellow. I gave you the scripture references here. But let's read together. If you don't mind, if you're able, let's stand together. We're not quite done, but I think you can confess better standing up. Let's read together. I am deeply loved by God. I am totally justified in Christ. By the way, that word justified means just as if I had never sinned. If you have Christ in your life, the Bible says he has given you a position that you are justified in Christ just as if you had never sinned. 
Somebody ought to at least grunt right there. I mean, that's good stuff. You have a right standing relationship with God. You are justified because of the blood of Christ. You are somebody in God's eyes. God not only loves me, he likes me. I'm going to tell you, a revelation is to find out God actually likes you. Most of the time we beat ourselves up and we're always guilting ourselves and pastors sometimes help guilt us. But when you discover that God not only loves you, he actually likes you. It will literally change your life. I am 100% accepted in Christ. I am 100% complete in Christ. God has given me his righteousness. Let's all say this last one. I am as righteous as Jesus. I used to think if I would say that, lightning would strike. How many of you had a hard time saying that? Because you're basing it on your righteousness. And by the way, there's only two kinds of righteousness. It's either God's righteousness or self-righteousness. And I'm just telling you, the Bible says, the same verse that says he took your sin on the cross, and we claim that, the same verse says, and he gave us his righteousness. You say, well, are you bragging? Yes, I am. But not about Roger, because I am totally unworthy. I am bragging about Jesus. For him to give me his righteousness... For him to say to me that I am completely justified. Certainly it doesn't mean we're perfect, but in God's eyes, we have a right standing relationship with God. And here's what I found about prophecy. Bruce, can I have you come up here? I haven't picked on Bruce for a while. Thank God you're here today, man. If you weren't here, it's going to be right behind you, Ron, back there. Up here. So here's what I found about prophecy, and this is going to be so simple, so incredibly simple. Most of prophecy, I used to think if I go to somebody and I'm hearing the heart of God through that person, they're going to expose my deep, dark sin. I have never found that in prophecy. Here's what I have found prophecy, and I'm just using Bruce as an example. I know nothing about your past, but if I, if I were prophesying over Bruce, it would be something like this. And I've had the privilege of sitting with people who prophesied over me, and it would be something like this. And they would just take a moment to hear the heart of God, and then I would say something like this. Bruce, I just sense that maybe somewhere in your past, man, somebody has put you down. There's a pain somewhere in your past, maybe back when you were in junior high, that to this day is still scarring you. And I just want you to know, God wants you to know, that he doesn't see you that way. He loves you so much, Bruce. Man, you are completely in a right-standing relationship. He just wants you to receive how he sees you. And so all in the world prophecy is, is just helping another brother or sister see themselves the way God sees them. I love you, buddy. And you can go sit down. Next time it'll be Michelle. All right. Real quick, I want to share just a couple stories. I know we're at the end. I shared with you all a couple weeks ago that I went to a prophecy conference. Matter of fact, I took most of our staff to a prophecy conference. And uh, we went, it was at a charismatic church in Kansas City. When we got there, it was in a room about the size of the fellowship hall. It was packed out except the front row. How many of you think that's cruel? I mean, 
We get there late. We're Baptists at a charismatic church, and we have to sit on the front row. Can anybody say awkward? All right. And they knew we were coming because we registered, so they knew there was a, Bab- a group from the Baptist church. So they got there, and so when I, when, I mean, I was waiting to hear some deep, dark secret of prophecy. And it was so simple. It was so simple it was a disappointing in a way because all in the world prophecy is, as they taught it at a charismatic church, all in the world prophecy is, is just hearing the heart of God for another believer. And I loved how they, they taught it because they would never ever say, thus saith the Lord. They would always say, hey, I am sensing that, that God is showing me this. Does that make any sense to you? They would always let the person filter it through their own experience, and I really like that. No one has complete revelation from God, but they would always just sense what God, and we sat one time, part of the conference, we, we, they had some junior high kids, and they were teaching them how to hear God, and to build up, and to encourage, and to comfort, and so they brought us in, we were guinea pigs, they brought us in, they had three or four junior high kids get around every two of us, And they just sat and they just tried to hear God. And these junior high kids learning to hear the heart of God, they would just begin to say things like, you know, I I just sense that this is going on, that maybe somewhere in the past you've really had somebody put you down. And they may even give a certain time period. They may say it was something. I sense it might be something with your father. Does that make any sense? And then they would just say to us, hey, I just want you to know that God has forgiven them, that God loves you, and he just wants you to receive his love. And can I tell you how weird it was, and and person after person would say they brought up things that nobody would know except God. But it was never, ever bringing up a sin. It was always a hurt, a pain, us not seeing ourselves the way God sees it. I want to close, and I could give you a lot of stories there. I learned about most of what I know about prophecy from a charismatic church, but it was so simple. It was so ridiculously simple, it just made so much sense just to walk with God and to share God's heart along the way. I wanted to share this story. There was a Baptist pastor there, and... Uh, he, had a, he was kind of developing the ministry of prophecy. And again, it's something that you have to develop. You have to learn to hear the heart of God and just share. And again, it's not a perfect science. I think you just share what God's put on your heart. But always let the people filter that through and to see if it makes any sense. But there was this one Baptist pastor. He just felt led to start a ministry to palm readers. That's really weird. But he would go to palm readers, and he would let them read his palm, but he would always say to them, I will let you read my palm if I can also share something about you. And he would always ask God, God, give me one thing that I can share. Give me one thing that I can love on this person, that they can experience your love. And so he would always ask God to give him one thing that he could share with that person. And so one time he went to a palm reader, and he was doing this as a ministry. And so as she was reading his palm, God gave him a phone number. It was as clear as day. He said there was this phone number in his mind. And so after she got done, he said to this palm reader, he said, does this number mean anything? And he wrote it out. He gave it to her. And she looked at the phone number, and it didn't seem to make any sense to her at all. She looked at her phone, looked at her main contacts. That phone number was not in there at all. 
She goes, that really, he said, well, maybe, maybe I missed it, but for some reason, God gave me that number for you. And about a minute later, her phone rang, and guess what? It was that number. The phone rang, and she answered it, and she said, hello, and it was her sister. Her sister called her and said, I just want you to know I got a new phone, and I wanted you to be the first one to have my new number. She said, I've already got it. And when she hung up, she said to this, this guy, by what spirits do you operate? And he said, one spirit, and that's God's spirit. And he had a chance to share Jesus with her. I want to tell you, prophecy is never, ever condemning. It's always building up, always encouraging and comforting. Can you see why prophecy is so important? Can you see why I think everyone should desire to prophesy, to speak the heart of God along this crazy journey? I'm going to ask David, if he will, to come. Let's just take a moment. Would you ask God to increase your ability to prophesy? That you could know the heart of God, that you could share the heart of God everywhere you go. I believe God wants to speak through you to other members in the body. I just want you to feel God reach down and love on you. And I, again, just want to tell everybody that you are completely in a right standing relationship with God if you are a believer. If you have Christ in your life, you are completely justified. We need to slow down and just hear the voice of God. Some of you may need to go to somebody today or call somebody that God's putting on your heart. I just want to encourage you as I encourage myself. Let's so walk in the spirit that we can just minister life everywhere we go. If anyone needs to talk, I will be here after the service. If you've never received Christ into your life, I can't imagine a more important decision than right now just acknowledging that Jesus died for you, asking to forgive you and to come into your life, and I believe he will honor that. If you've never been baptized, we're hoping the last Sunday of June we're going to have a big baptismal service. I believe that's the first step of obedience. Would you just take a moment and let God just wrap his arms around you and just tell you that he not only loves you, he likes you. We've been beat up enough by religion. I think God just wants to minister life to each other. Father, fill us with your spirit. I pray for those who have been bruised and battered that, God, they would just receive your anointing oil. That, Father, we could receive what your word says about us. Father, may we speak life everywhere we go this week by allowing your heart to flow through our words. In Jesus' name, amen.